0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 235, Designing RPGs with Safety Tools Included. Presented by Bill Vecchione, Senda Lino, and Alex Roberts.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: OK, so mics for speakers. Oh, I know. I've been in this room already three That's right. Times. You've been, like, living here. <laughs> Welcome back, Senda. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Panels are my jam like a cut under table. Is like just yes. Right under the... Yeah, right <laughs> down here. It's actually under the stage. Oh gosh, There's a little more space. Kind of kind of it's a little nice. really low, but it's like dark and quiet once they lock everything up. Is this one on? No. There we go. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Does, yes. does everybody really need that? Like, Yes. Yes. Yeah? This okay. room is
5: terrible. The acoustics
4: okay. are oh.
3: truly horrible. Okay, good. This is yes.
5: great. And now I, I don't have to strain my voice whatsoever. But um, well, we're going to... We're going to try not to like hit the mic or spit into it, and we're going to try to turn it off when we're not talking and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm very picky about audio, I guess. Uh, welcome, everyone, and thank you for waiting. This is the panel on integrating safety mechanics into RPGs. Um, I think we should start by talking about what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. So we're not going to talk about whether or not safety mechanics are good. Uh, we're not going to list a bunch of safety mechanics and then evaluate them or compare them to each other and say which one is best. Um, quick check down the table. Do you think it's impossible or fruitful to evaluate a safety mechanic outside of its context, both cultural and mechanical? Yeah, no. No? Phil?
4: What
3: you uh, I agree. Probably right. Yeah,
5: okay. Cool. Um, and we're not even going to ask if safety culture is more or less important than safety mechanics uh an argument about whether or not we should take care of each other or to what extent we should take care of each other it's just not a part of this particular conversation i would still have that conversation but it's not this one um let's talk about what we are going to talk about senda do you want to introduce yourself we can go down the line do that
4: yeah absolutely sorry i'm a little frazzled that's okay we don't have to start with
5: you we can start elsewhere i i'm a pro at this too
4: (laughs) this is my fifth panel This Metatopia, Um, hi, (laughs) I'm Senda Leno, I am one half of She's a Super Geek, which is an actual play podcast um, highlighting women as GMs, I'm also one half of Pandas Talking Games, which is a cool show about GMing advice for one-shots versus campaigns, Um, and I write for (coughs) Noam Stew, and I'm also designing um, games, um, including uh, one that is particularly built for Bleed, which is why I'm sitting here today.
3: My name is uh, Phil Vecchione. Uh, I'm uh, one of the co hosts of the Misdirected Mark podcast, I'm one of the co hosts uh, with Senda on Pandas Talk Games. Uh, I am one of the founding uh, gnomes for Gnome Stew, and I have on or off for the past several years written a number of articles on safety and gaming. Uh, I have fought a number of arguments about the validity of safety in gaming, uh, and as Senda said, we are uh, co designing a game. Uh, specifically uh, designed for Bleed, so safety was uh, something that was very much uh, in the forefront of our design.
5: And I'm Alex Roberts. Uh, I host the Backstory podcast on the OneShot Network, where I s- steal people's ideas about what to do in game design and also share them with the rest of the world. And uh, and I'm also a game designer. I, I designed uh, Starcrossed and For the Queen, both of which are going to be publicly available early 2019, Uh, and a couple of other things. I made a cool game for the hashtag feminism supplement. I'm in everybody else's books like a dirty shirt, and I love talking, especially in person, not so much online anymore, about (laughs) safety mechanics and how fun they are, and taking care of people in a more general sense. Uh, I'm also working towards a master's in counseling, so I do a lot of in-person taking care of people. Um, So, having introduced ourselves, uh, we should establish that we're going to really be speaking from our own experience of design, more so than like looking at the general milieu and talking about we're making games that we want to be enabling other people to take care of each other and take care of themselves at the table. Um, So, talking about how what we do culturally and interpersonally can be systematized such that when other people run our games, they're perhaps incentivized or enabled or empowered to do what we like to see at the table. Um, So let's, whoever wants to start can talk about how that's happening in our design right now. Oh, you're looking at me. Okay.
3: Do you want me to talk about it? I mean, I can
5: talk about it. It's fine.
3: I guess we can share that topic.
4: (laughs) We shared the game. so yeah, so the game that Phil and I are designing that we actually just um, did the high test for here, so it, we're, we're getting to a very close to done point, hopefully you will see more information about it soon, um, is a game called Turning Point. Um, it is a collaborative dramatic decision-making engine in which um, you are playing collectively um, a single person who is facing an extremely difficult decision in their life. And it's one of those moments that we've all had where you are... Literally faced with a life changing decision, and it's one of those like heart wrenching do I maybe maybe it's do I stay with this partner or do I leave? Um, Or maybe it's do I have a baby or do I not? Do I take um, this drug that might change my life but that could have this terrible side effect? Right? Um, So it's the kind of decisions that we as humans are facing all the time, Um, but because of that, it is a game that um, has the potential um, for a lot of feels, for lack of a better word, um, or bleed is another word that, you know, we toss around a lot when we talk about um, emotions that travel from our experience in character into, that we take away from the game and bring with us out into the world and into our lives. Um, and so, yes. Well,
3: I just wanted to mention bleed intention. So bleed was intentionally a design yes. consideration. So part of the mechanic of the game is that uh, you draw these heartstrings uh, for different reasons in the game. And one of those reasons is if you have a personal connection to anything that's going on in the scene. So we actively encourage people to emotionally connect to each of the scenes, right? which comes with its own uh, risks.
4: Right, so then knowing that and knowing we're designing that game, we as designers have an obligation to do everything that we can to create um, not only the tools um, but the culture of safety at that table to give people a good experience of being vulnerable, right? Um, to create a safe space for people to be vulnerable in. Um, so um, do you want me to go into details about what we did? Sorry, I lost
5: track of the question. <laughs> it's day three. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling, feeling a lot of Sunday energy up yeah. here today. Um, well, so I'm, I'm curious about how... Uh, how the specific demands and, and affordances of that design, um, what what does that allow, what does that demand in terms of keep taking care of each other, right? How does safety in that game look specifically and how are you thinking about that as a designer?
4: Right, so one of, there are two really key considerations that, um, that I think we went into that game with, which um, the first one was, um, basically having a way to have active consent for what is currently occurring in the game. Um, Because you can be in the middle of a scene and it can be really cool for one person who's going, yes, this is really deep and I love it. And the person that they're in the scene with needs to also be on board. So we don't want to be dragging someone along for the ride just because it's cool for me, right? Just because it's cool for me doesn't mean that it's cool for Alex. Um, So one of the specific considerations that we were dealing with was how do we, without actually interrupting the game unless we need to for a safety reason to stop, right? But how do we have a means to check in with people and make sure that my good experience is a good experience for you too and that you're still on board? Or even if that experience is you're having an awesome experience and you wanna push harder, I'm okay here, but I don't wanna go any further Um, Or if that experience is, I'm having a lot of emotions right now, and I'm not actually entirely sure what I'm feeling, and maybe I need to figure that out before I can give you an answer, which is a valid response, right?
3: And from a design point of view, it didn't start that way. Right. So (laughs) We we discovered
4: this. (laughs)
3: Our initial design for safety was the ability to revoke consent. Yes. So... Um, the, you know, the first tool we we used was the X card, right? right? The ability to say, nope, stop what we're doing. Uh, and then over time, as we kept playing it, uh, we moved from just revoke consent to um, valid like continuing to get continuous active consent. Right.
4: And the ability to get continuous active, like, check-in to see where everybody is. And, and what does that look like in terms of the rules for Right. That? In terms of the rules for that, so we actually reached into, um, did a, ton of research into LARP stuff, which is not what I have ever done. I'm I'm not a LARPer, although I might end up being, having done all this research now. Um, (laughs) So we we turned to the LARP community, and what what we did is um, looked into a lot of the tools that are being used in LARP to identify um, when a situation is good or bad, because in LARP it is much harder to see those lines. Um, And what we ended up taking away was basically the OK check-in from LARP, which is a system of hand signals um, that the folks used to be like, are we okay? So it's still nonverbal; it still doesn't interrupt um, the scene that's at stake. We um, basically just um, adapted it a little bit to work at the table instead of in an active, up, walking around sort of way, and it gives everyone at the table the chance at any time to be like, "Hey, are we still okay?" Like, even if you're not actively involved in the scene, you can say, "Like, are we all cool with what's happening
5: here?" Like, that's how are we? <laughs> right, there's, there's a big cultural taboo against like interrupting people when they're speaking, unless you're a white man, of course. Uh, but, but generally speaking, like uh, I think people don't want to do it. Like Some are more comfortable than others, but it's generally like a rude thing, and it's mean, especially when people are talking about really important, vulnerable things. And so it would be great if we could just learn to kind of cut in, but we want to meet people where they're at, and so the ability for anyone at the table to just do a quick, like, check around, are we all good? And that empowers, and that makes it not just the GM's job, or not the person running the scene's job, or not the person who's having a bad time's job, Um, although they still have some personal responsibility to respond, honestly, Um, but empowers everyone at the table to say, like, if you, like, you can check in with everybody, anybody, at any time.
4: Right, and it it gives... um there's a secondary aspect to it, right? Which is, if I'm sitting there and I'm having a great time but I look across the table and I go, it looks like he might be in distress. And I'm not sure, and this is a personal experience that actually he and I have had which is, I'm looking across the table and I think he might be in distress. What do I do if he's lost track? Like if he's too distressed to notice that, um, or to remember that there are tools in place to help us with this, right? Because that's a thing that can happen. If you go into a triggered place, you don't always remember what's there to help you get back out of that space. So I can take some part of the responsibility for the entire table in that I can check in, right? And that check-in is a way for me to give people an opportunity to give me feedback. So it doesn't just fall on me like, um, I mean, at the end of the day, the ultimate responsibility for my safety is dependent on my communication of if I have a problem, right? but it gives us a culture where we can ask each other and remind each other, are you okay? Is this still good? Are we still in a safe place? I'm not sure about how you're feeling right now, so I want to find out because I care about you. Because, and I think this is the key thing about safety, right, like, um, when it comes right down to it, we love games. They are fun, and we're here to have fun and play games, but every single human who is sitting at that table is more important than the game. Right? And that's really what it just comes down to. It's like I care about all of you more as humans than I care about if my game goes perfectly or we play through to the end or any of those things. Right? That's the important part.
3: So one other nice thing about the OK Check-In was we started testing the game online for online play. And the tool works equally as well when you're playing in Hangouts. Because now we're not in the same physical space. But I can easily just hold up to my camera the OK symbol, and now everybody else can check in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it worked, worked out really well. We tested it at GauntletCon, and people like were able to take to it immediately. So now, now we can bring that culture of safety into the online game as well as the in-person game. That's,
5: that's very encouraging. Um, something. Can I talk about StarCraft for a little bit? Oh my gosh, please, please talk do. about StarCraft because I adore it.
1: And thank you for letting <laughs>
5: us babble about Turning Point. <laughs> Uh, uh, Turning Point sounds like it's coming along really well. I was excited to talk to people who are playing it. Um, That's right. So StarCrossed comes with a beautiful, lovely, uh, high-quality card stock X card that sits right in the middle of the table. And um, StarCrossed is a game about two people who are having an essentially forbidden relationship. They're having a relationship that's very intimate and within the boundaries that the two players themselves have set, fictionally, it's somehow wrong. It's culturally taboo, or they, it's conflicting with their own values, or, or whatever. L- lots of things could be happening that are putting them in this Romeo and Juliet situation. Uh, and it's a game that I've specifically designed to have two players play with a lot of discomfort. It's a game where I wanted them to feel uncomfortable in a, in a compelling, interesting, productive way. Um, and so I, I've written in the rules that it's really up to you to know, okay, what is the difference between good discomfort and bad discomfort, between an acceptable level and too much. Um, but so the X card is there for you to say, like, okay, this is this is too much, uh, backspace, or or let's go in a different direction, let's do something better, or let's not go there, you know, fade to black, whatever you need it to do, and it's and it's outlined and explained in the context of the game. But there's also a secret hidden bonus safety mechanic Mm -hmm. that not everyone picks up on which is that um, uh, Starcrossed has a scene structure so rather than being one long continuous game uh, where you're always in character or you're always kind of talking focused on the game or there being a break or whatever it's up to eight scenes and so at the end of any of, of the scene you stop you turn over the card and you get the title of the next scene that you're about to play out and this is not explicitly labeled as like check-in time but that's what every single player uses it to do and it's very often a ooh wow oh this oh, oh my gosh i love where we're going with this can we can we talk more about this in the next scene because that's in in the mechanics designed to be the time when you decide what the next scene's going to be about and that's you know that's not an explicitly a safety thing but it's a great time for either player to say, we're gonna have 10 to 15 minute of questions at the end, so please write that down, don't forget it. Um, for, the, for either player to say, yeah, I love where we're going with this, or to also say, hey, can we set this next scene in a completely different way, or let's have a lighter scene, or whatever. Um, and people not only advocate for their own needs in that, in that moment, but in play testing, I've noticed that that's when people check in on the other person. They almost never do it in scene, but in those little breaks is very often when one player will say to the other, like, "Who oh, is is this getting too intense for you? Or like, I kinda, I kinda took things in this direction in the last scene, do you wanna keep pursuing that? Or we, can, we, can, we don't have to talk about that more. So I, I do think that people wanna care about each other in general. Some people don't, I can't stop them. I, I, we talked about this when we were putting this panel together. We can't make you give a shit about other human beings, but if you do, we can give you lots of opportunities to enact that care. And so, what I've noticed is that people who care about the other person at the table—they um, take that that time. They really appreciate whether or not they realize it. Um, they capitalize on that time to to check in with the other person.
3: You also have one other mechanism uh, as a like the ultimate safety valve. Like the game ends when the tower falls.
5: And and you're free to push it over whenever you want. And that's a perfectly legitimate ending to the game. And it's a great, lovely, climactic, like, wow, let's knock over the table because I'm having such a good time. I want to leave right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you can even, I don't know if anyone's ever done it, but I truly hope that someone out there is doing the, like, oh, uh, I have to go to the bathroom, and also I'm never coming back here to talk to you again. in Starcross takes the form of, I'm going to pull a brick. Oh, whoops, I knocked it over. (laughs) Anyway. I'm leaving forever. <laughs> uh, so yes, that's, that's the <coughs> other secret hidden safety mechanic um, that that yeah you can just take advantage of whenever. Um, so yeah, just enabling people to take care of themselves and take care of each other. Like just give them the space to do that. I think most people want to do it. Um, I have another thing I want to talk about. Is that okay? okay. I don't yeah, want to take another all no, no, the no. time. So I also you have
4: so many games with cool safety stuff.
5: Oh, send it. keep going. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> you care about people so much in such a practical way. Um, I am also the production manager at Bully Pulpit Games. Uh, they made Fiasco, and right now we're in the process of making a cool new version of Fiasco. Uh, if you haven't played it, it's a game of high ambition and poor impulse control. So it's about schmucks who take on way more than they can handle and things get wacky and out of control and they usually end up completely screwed. In fact, you're deliberately playing a game to have a chump <coughs> character who gets totally screwed over. And so you make yourself the butt of all the jokes. It's like the anti-D&D. It's the anti-hero fantasy. Um, it's the fantasy of just like just a complete nonsense fiasco. So this is a game that I love. It was like the first story game that I played and was just like, oh my god, this is great. Um, and it's it's a great game, but that is a game that can go so sideways. It's unbelievable. Uh, we, we talked about it as. <laughs>
3: what did you say? Say, say what you said. <laughs> I said it's
5: a beautiful game, but in terms of safety, it's like a game that's covered in knives. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to hold it like this, <laughs> and then you can have a great a great time. Um, So for the second edition, there's lots of things that we're changing. Uh, You know, it's on cards now, it's a little easier to set up, it's more approachable, blah, blah, blah. But so much of what we're doing behind the scenes is to tighten up all those safety things. And to, um, it's like baby proofing a house. Like we're just, we're making sure that all these things are okay and that people now have tools to control their game so that they can play it in the way that they want to. Because if everybody wants to do this totally wacky out there thing, um, that's awesome. But we need to make sure that everybody at the table is playing the kind of game that they want to and having the kind of things happen that they are totally con- like enthusiastically on board with. And Fiasco is not a game that's like Turning Point where you're really drawing on yourself and really talking about realistic things that have happened to you in your life. I think you can play it that way, but people generally don't. It's generally a humor game. It's a funny game. It's just silly, right? And that's where those are the games that I think need safety mechanics the most, more than anything. I have felt more uncomfortable in funny games than I have in games that are like quote-unquote serious. Uh, and I'm a LARPer, okay, I know what, I know what bummer games are. <laughs> um, and and, it's, and it's, it's humor games when I think more people cross lines and say things that are really not okay and introduce content that is not acceptable. Um
3: there's a curve, right? There's a curve for comedy. So like that's what happens in fiasco, like it starts to get wacky and then it piles on and piles on and eventually somebody crosses a line. Yeah. And the first time I played the first time I played Fiasco, which was like right before it was published, like I, I did one of the early reviews for it, and we ran the game with no understanding of safety tools whatsoever. And one of the players in the game said something really offensive, and it was I don't know like everybody at the table laughed but in retrospect like looking back it was like oh my god I can't believe somebody said that Mm -hmm. and there was no like we had nothing for it right like we just barreled through it we kind of laughed and moved on to the next scene but it was it was a game where it was like oh I love playing fiasco but I won't play it in public. Like I won't play it at a con. I'll play it like at home right. with friends. This way, God forbid something gets said at the table, it doesn't spill out and offend somebody else. Sure. Like, and, and that's how I started treating that game, which is probably not the best way you want to. Like, <laughs> it's like you said, covered in knives. Like, well, it's, it's going to hurt somebody yeah. if you let it roll around. And
5: if you know Steve and Jason, who who made it, like they're the sweetest sweetest mm-hmm. boys, Absolutely. and and they're very caring, and they want people to be able to play this game in a way that in a way where they take care of each other and and tell their fun stories and everybody has fun (laughs) not at other people's expense and not hurting each other so So it's been really interesting to figure out okay what do we do with this like oh it's cards based one of those cards is going to have a big old X on it (laughs) but also how do we take advantage of the affordances of the game right so Fiasco also has a scene structure it also has okay this is your scene okay we've resolved it now it's your scene that's that's how the game is structured. How do we take advantage of those little blanks between, between scenes and do something star crossy? Uh, where that's a really good time to reorient if things are going wrong or if you're not okay with something, that's a good recalibration time. Um, the other thing is a lot of the language in the rules it can still have... If you've ever read Fiasco, it's very much like you're a chump and you're a schmuck and you're going to get fucked over and we want to have that kind of... We, wanna, we want we it to have that feel because it communicates the feeling of the game really well but how do we write safety mechanics in such a way that the, is, that the essence of how they're used still gets communicated in a way that doesn't seem like... Because uh, if we suddenly just interject like But of course, we have to care about each other and we love each other so much. It's going to look like it's not really part of the game or it's like an interruption or an intrusion somehow. So we're we're writing, uh, and this is what you got to do if someone's being a, uh, I mean, this is not in the thing, but I'm thinking about, okay, do we write it like, hey, if someone's being a dingus at your table and screwing things up for other people, this is what you do and you can get back on the right track. Uh, you know, ha- have fun and don't, eat. like, so, ro- so re- writing Safety Mechanics as we're re- rewriting Fiasco in a way that where it's all integrated, it's all part of it, um, is, it's been a really cool and fun and interesting challenge. It's one of the m- things I'm most excited about for new Fiasco.
3: Can I call back one of your metaphors and kind of talk a little bit about that? So, <laughs> you, so you, you had said, you know, you're baby-proofing the house, right? So <laughs> the thing is, when you, when you baby-proof a room, you baby-proof different rooms differently. So, like, for instance, the kitchen gets a lot more baby-proofing, right? Like, the cabinets get locked and the stove knobs get covered and stuff like that. But, like, maybe, you know, like, maybe the living room has, you know, the plug covers and, you know, a few things to make sure the TV doesn't tip over. But I think that kind of goes to, as you're designing your game, you have to start looking at what do you need to baby-proof, right? What room is this You know, in terms of games, something like Turning Point is like, you know, baby proofing your kitchen. Something like, you know, Fiasco is like baby proofing the garage. (laughs) um, And this doesn't mean better or worse or more or
5: less. This means that you have to take different approaches depending on what is in there. What's in the room? Guard those things. Uh, We were talking, we all really admired the way that um, the X card is introduced in Bluebeard's Bride because not only do they say, this is a tool that you have and here's how to use it, they also say, here's some examples of how it might come up because Bluebeard's Bride is about very specific, um, it's a game of feminine horror um, by uh, Whitney Strix Beltran and Melissa Kelly and uh, Sarah Richardson, it's a beautiful, lovely, very interesting, very frightening and disturbing game. And so the way they introduce it is, this kind of material is gonna come up. It's totally different than how we would talk about it in a comedy game. The other thing that Bluebeard's Bride does lots of other things to keep you safe. When they talk about safety, they they just say like, "This is a game that is about these horrifying things. If any of those things don't interest you, you can edit some of them out. But if in general none of that is appealing to you, play another game. Like don't don't try to force yourself through this game that is going to be about these terrifying things. Bluebeard, the the art on Bluebeard's Bride is beautiful, and it has this cover of this like disturbing image of that's kind of ambiguous, but like very sort of, oh my gosh. It, that, is, that art is a gift, because either you know right away, because it's so vivid, either, yeah, this is, an, this is something I want to explore, and this is a kind of horror that's really relevant to my life and the things that I've experienced and how I think about things. I, wa- I want to dig into this. Or you look at the exact same piece of art, and you're like, cool, keep that away from me. I do not want to get into that. I don't want to get into it with other people. Like, vivid art, vivid descriptions, how you write the game, how you present the material that's going to be in it up front, all of that is a gift to potential players to let them know how they they have to keep themselves safe, and also let them know whether or not they want to play your game. We talk a lot about how to pitch your game in such a way that people will want to play it, but please keep in mind that you need to let them know whether or not it's actually a good idea for them to play it, because it may not be.
3: Right. And even from a layout perspective, there's a difference between Putting the safety information in a sidebar, as opposed to putting it in as a chapter, right? That says something about the game to the players, right? If I'm just if I've got a sidebar that says, "Oh yeah, like let's have some safety in this game," right? It, it conveys a certain tone. But if I have dedicated part of a chapter or a chapter, like it's actually in the index, it's actually in the table of contents, that says safety. That's a very different message we're sending. So. It extends all the way through graphic design,
4: mm-hmm. right? And 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 beyond that, writing it into the actual instructions themselves, so that when we hit the points in the game where we're like, okay, and then you know, when you're setting up this character, you're going to answer these particular questions to make sure that you have, you know, guided this particular scenario. This is just happens to be a turning point because that's what's on my mind right now, of course. Um, but like so this particular scenario like let's talk through what we're comfortable coming up in this scenario as we create characters It's like now it's not only built into like the chapters of my book it's built into my character creation process that we're going to have this conversation like this is part of playing that game Mm -hmm. Um, and that you know it's in the rules like as you go through it step by step and set up this game you're going to do these things and again like Alex says like I can't force you to care about the people at your table, but I can give you every opportunity to take those moments and, and, and you know, give a shit. Please just give a shit. Well, or, <laughs> well if, if, if you don't. do, if you do, if then you do. I mean, no. if you don't, then if you don't,
3: please put this book down. Put the book down. Please put <laughs> this book down and Walk don't hurt anyone. Walk away. <laughs> yeah, send it back to us. <laughs> um,
5: Can I also talk about For the Queen, which I've been working on? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I got to. For the Queen is a um, uh, a very structured, question-based storytelling game, uh, where you go around a table and you pull cards and answer questions about. a journey that you're on, your relationship to other characters, and your relationship to a queen. Nobody plays the queen. We don't know anything about the queen at the start of the game. We only learn about her through people's answers to the questions. They can answer them however they want. The themes that come up in this game are themes about intense relationships that you have with people who are way more powerful than you. So stuff can come up, you know? Um, there's When you pull a card, you can answer that question. You can also X this question so it's not a part of the game. Nobody answers it or you can pass to the person on your right and say, I, I'd rather hear your answer to this question. And so that gives you a couple of different levels with which to interact. So you like, you know, there's, there's stuff on this card that I personally don't want to get into, but I'm okay with it being at the table. Someone else can make it a part of their character, but I don't, I don't want to ask myself this question right now. Um, you can also X an answer, though. You can, you can use the X card in, in however it's normally used to, to backspace on anything or to take a different take on anything. But the way that I explain it in For the Queen, I specifically talk about Xing a card or passing a card. And it's, it's also explained as a safety mechanic, and again, as not just a safety mechanic, because you're also building a character. And so you could just as easily say, oh, this, this card doesn't really fit the story that we've been telling. It's really out of place. Or you could say when you're passing, oh, th- yeah, this just doesn't really work given what I've established for my character, so I'm just moving it on. And both of those actions, whether you're doing that for your comfort or safety or just for the you know, sake of the story, it doesn't really work. All of those actions look identical. So you can talk about why you're passing it if you want. You also don't have to. We don't have to get into it. And all of that power is in the person who's playing, uh, the person who's drawing that card. And what's important to me is that the game does not suffer when people pass and X. And so in playtesting, I like to see people use that mechanic a lot and see, does, okay, does that take away from the, from the story? Does that interrupt the story? And I'm not happy with that mechanic until it's a smooth part of the process. And it's part of the game and it helps the game get better. My, I played it with someone who uh, experiences lots of anxiety and it's a very close to home game for them. And, uh, and also they don't usually play RPGs and so they don't know what the expectations and what they should do, you know, is. And they taught me so much about this game. I'm so grateful to this person. They're thanked in the, in the game because they passed and X'd almost every card they got for the first like third of the game. They were just like, oh, whoa. Oh. And it was awesome. And we ended up with a really unique queen it was a very different game, but it was a totally satisfying game, and when I spoke with them afterwards, they s- described their experience as totally satisfying and great things to say about the game. And I I, enjoy- I was part of it. I wasn't observing it, and I enjoyed it very much. And like that's the test, right? Like When people use your mechanics, watch what happens. Encourage your playtesters to use it. Put a plant in there if you have to. Use them yourself if you have to, and see what happens. What happens when people use it? Um, I want to ask about taking care of your players in a long-term, like, campaign context. Uh, And I specifically want to ask you two about it, because I've never run a long campaign, and I don't know anything about it.
1: I know. The the
4: person we should actually ask is Phil, because we have this show called Pandas Talking Games where I talk about one-shots,
5: oh, and he talks about campaigns. Wow, that's so wild. It's like I had the sense that that was the case.
1: It's crazy.
3: So, yeah, when we talk about uh, safety in campaigns, Uh, There's a couple things that we, there's a couple things that we have to, we can take advantage of and a couple things that become pitfalls. So the thing that we can take advantage of is that when we play a longer term campaign, we actually start to know the people that we're playing with, right? This is the advantage of one shots and and online games. So like my regular gaming group, one of my players has um, a, a line about spiders. So it's easy when we play games, we just don't play with spiders. Uh, it's a thing I know. I've been playing with this person for 20 years, so it's a thing that um, we we almost don't even have to establish, and, and therein lies the pitfall. So the thing that happens in long-term play is that we start to get lax about our safety tools because we establish. If we've done a good job, we establish them right up front, right? We did our session zero. We did some. Maybe we did some lines and veils. Um, maybe we're still, maybe we're still good. Like we still, even when we play the game, and I know I'm guilty of this because I've done this myself. But I will put my X card out and not even introduce it again, right? Because I've been I've playing that. with, right? I've been playing with these people forever. So I'm just like, okay, let's get set up for the game. Boom, X card on the table. Let's get going. Um, but what happens is we get more familiar, and we start to kind of lose a little of like the ritual of the way we introduce things. These things start to become invisible, and we can run into that problem where uh, we have safety tools on the table that now people have kind of forgotten. And so either starting your game with a ritual that kind of reinforces those safety tools um, or having a safety check, like, hey, like, like, for instance, I was playing um, Tales from the Loop, which doesn't have any really explicit safety tools. So we, you know, we threw the X card on the table uh, because we thought that was from a risk level safe enough. Um, but you know, every few games, I'd be like, okay, everybody remember, the X card's on the table, it's right here, if you have any content you know, that you're uncomfortable with, we're just going to touch it and we'll deal with it. And just that few minutes of bringing it back to everyone's attention means that it, it like, becomes more visible again. So yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? So you gain that familiarity so I know how to steer my game around, like we're not going to go into a tunnel and find a million spiders. Right? That's not a story we're gonna play in this game, but at the same time we we become sometimes lax about some of the other tools. So
4: Can I can I ask you a question? Yeah. To build into that. Do you have any thoughts on um because we're writing a game that is built as a one shot and Starcrossed is a one shot Mm -hmm. and fiasco is a one shot. If you're writing a game and you want to write safety tools in for a campaign What do you think you would do differently?
3: So I I think then you have to start cooking them into kind of the ritual of the startup of the game. Uh, So that, and especially if your game has phases, like something like Blades from the Dark, which doesn't have explicit safety tools, has very hard edges about the phases of that game. So Blades and Scum and Villainy, to to the same extent, have those hard edges. Those are places where you could start interjecting those pieces, Um, like hey we're going on a mission, is there anything we don't want in this mission? Right? Like We can have that talk before every mission if we needed to, and it would bake it in. Um, making any part of the safety tool part of the handouts. Like For instance, we did this with, even though Turning Point's a one-shot, the OK check-in is actually a graphic on the character sheet. So it is front and center to the characters at all times. So putting safety tools on your character sheet for, uh, for a, you know a game that you're going to run in a campaign style just keeps it present, it keeps it right in front of them. Uh, those kinds of things. I think you just have to kind of put them into the processes of the game.
5: Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I don't know if games designed for a long-form campaign play include instructions or suggestions about checking in with your players in between uh, sessions? Because I think that's a good idea, not, like not even from a, a safety perspective, but just like, a, hey, what do you think about the campaign? Here's some ideas I have about like potential stuff we could do in the future. What's interesting to you about the campaign so far? Is there stuff that about your character that isn't coming out you think could be fun, etc. And then like if that becomes normal, where you're just asking about content in general, I think that's also a really good spot to be like. Also, you seemed a bit like kind of checked out last last session. Was there something that was bothering you, or or oh okay cool, or oh that that stuff you didn't feel great about? Oh, I'm sorry I didn't catch it at the time, but moving forward we'll do whatever. So I think th- I think there are lots of special opportunities for care and to get to know people. But but you're yeah. right that that familiarity I, I think is interesting, and I that's something that I haven't seen possibly because I don't read a ton of games that are designed for campaign play. But I would love to see in something like a Blades in the Dark. And the many forged in the dark games that like probably people here are working on would love to see those kinds of check-ins become more formalized and become a, a part of the mechanic in, in the way that uh, you know, we designing one-shots are, are formalizing uh, steps towards care. Um, we wanna have about 10, 15 minutes for questions. So uh, we can just kind of summarize and wrap up. What's, uh, let's, let's each just say one or two things that you wanna make sure people remember. Oh, gosh. They all looked at me. Um, good.
4: Um, I, uh, <laughs> no, I'm on the spot. I have no idea. No problem. Phil, do you have
3: something? Yeah, I'm just going to go back to that baby-proofing metaphor, right? When you're metaphor. looking at the design of your game, look for what the edges are in your game. Like, if your game's about poverty, if your game is about oppression, whatever it is, look for what those are, and, and then look at the available tools and kind of match. Um, I mean, it's essentially, it's a risk assessment, how, how emotionally risky... Is my game. Some games are not emotionally risky, and they don't need heavy safety tools. Some games are purposely made to be emotionally risky, and you need to you need to adjust how you deal with that accordingly.
4: Some games are sneakily emotionally risky, like
5: Fiasco. Well, <laughs> we can't keep bragging on Fiasco. I work with no, that, man. No, it's a fantastic game. I can't <laughs> right. wait to we see what you do thing. with it. But I but I think so. We're picking on Fiasco because I know it really well. But what we're talking about is comedy games, games that are well lent to comedy. And I, when we talk about is a game emotionally risky, they potentially all are because we're just humans sitting at a table, and, and humans, we can hurt, we have such power to hurt each other. Um, but comedy is about is a little bit about transgression and, and the unexpected by its nature. So I, so one of the things that I'm going to say to take away is uh, consider comedy a high risk situation because that's that's when people get to blurt out things, and that's when people get to you know. Uh, Cross lines a little bit, and that can be in a f- transgression. Can be fun, and cool. And there are some, you know, there are some lines in our society that I think is cool and rad to cross. But people have personal lines as well. That you need to respect, right? Um, the other takeaway is uh, to think about the w- the ways in which your game that you're designing right now. Because you're at Metatopia, so I'm just going to assume you're designers. Uh, Think about the ways that they incentivize or disincentivize active listening. To what extent are you rewarding people for paying very close attention to each other? Um, I'm going to brag and say that in in, star- in uh, sorry, For the Queen, because everyone has a turn and you draw one card and you think about it for a while and then you kind of hold the floor until it's the next person's turn and they're say, you are saying important stuff about that's gonna affect everyone else's narrative, you are very highly incentivized to pay very close attention to that person at that moment. So you're, whether or not you realize it, you're learning a lot about their emotional state in that moment, what they look like when they're in that emotional state, um, what content they're struggling with and which content they're very comfortable with. Um, so note the ways in which your players are learning to look out for each other. And see each other. And and so that when they when they do those little okay's for each other, they have a reason to do that because they start to know they're they're automatically looking at each other to see like, okay, that person may need a hand, what, what's up with them? So those those are my two takeaways. One, watch out for comedy, it'll get you. Uh, and, and two, uh, yeah, try try to figure out how to reward people to do that. And then tell me how you're doing it because I'm
3: very interested.
4: Yeah. I'm having a moment where I just looked at Phil and I'm like, hey, we did that, cool.
3: <laughs> yeah, Turning Point has a very
5: focused... <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the self-congratulation <laughs> panel. We're going to be speaking for oh, no, a little I, while about our, our I, many no, accomplishments. Welcome to the, the panel where I sit up here and go, oh, good, I'm learning things from Alex. going <laughs> No. But we did that by <laughs> accident. That's wonderful. Uh, we learned a lot putting this together. Like, put together panels about stuff you're interested in. You will you will learn a lot from each other. Please do that. Uh, so now it's time, speaking of learning, it's time for questions. Uh, put us on the spot and, and tell us what you're interested to know. Kevin, I'm so glad you remembered yeah, yeah, your question.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to bring it to StarCrossed, and because what you talked about there about your scene changes being where the players were looking at a safety mechanic. So was that intentional design, accidental design, or emergent design?
5: Um, very little about StarCrossed. Very little about any of my games is like intentional from the start. Very, Very intuitive approach. It's how I generously describe my haphazard approach. But I think the point, part of the point of playtesting is noticing what people do with what you throw on the table. And so it's half unintentional, where that was just something that I started to notice, and then half intentional, where, okay, now when I'm talking about that moment in the rules, I'm going to just just note, note of that, and I'm going to make sure I keep that in the next iteration of the game. I'm going to make sure I centralize that. I'm going to make sure that I have beautiful colored cute little uh, scene cards and not just a list of scenes so that there's a ritual moment of turning right so there's things that you can uh purposely throw in there but see what they actually do and you got to kind of hold on to them so thank you that's a very good question
4: yeah um that was an interesting thing that actually happened for us in turning point as well because it is also a scene based system um and because you are passing around the main character um, one of the things that began by accident and then became very intentional for us is that there's no one on the hot seat for the entire game. Like no one is taking the brunt of all of that stuff, one scene after another for the whole game. You have pauses between, and next scene you don't even have to be actively um, you don't have to be actively speaking in it. You're going to be actively engaged in it, but you don't have to actively um, participate in a spoken way. So you get these downbeats to kind of basically have high emotional energy and then you can like bring it back down and basically have control over your beats of where your emotions go. Yeah.
0: Colin? I have a question. I'm, I'm, kind of like, well, I'm working on <coughs> I'm, I'm curious we talked about a lot of uh, helping each other out I'm, I'm curious about self-care I'm working on a solo game which hits a lot of emotions and also self-harm and, and figuring out anxiety. Uh, I was curious about if y'all had any suggestions for like solo solo tools or, or anything like that where it's not so much like, are you okay? It's more of, like, am I okay? Because that's super hard for me. That is super
3: fascinating. People. Like I'm I'm now thinking about my time playing The Beast.
0: Oh
5: yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I started thinking about too. So one thing, read a lot of other one player games. So read uh, Twain by Jay Lee, definitely The Beast by Alexandra Slantowska. Um, I would also recommend, I'll let you take a note, but, oh sorry, also, the question
1: for for the podcast
5: (laughs) later, the question was about uh, one-player games and how we take care of ourselves. I would also recommend the safety chapter in the new version of Monster Hearts, which is also a great knife-covered game. Like, Mm -hmm. a great example of a game that was beautiful and has amazing moments, and in its original form, also lots of crevices and sharp edges to get caught in. And the new version, is a beautiful example of how to keep all of the great stuff in your game, while also now empowering players, to, because now you know what to watch out for, and to say, here's what to watch out for, here's what to do about it. So there's a whole chapter in there, and Avery uh, Avery Alder, the designer, talks about the circles of responsibility, and about how you you have the most responsibility for yourself, because that's who you have the most power over. You have responsibility for the other people at the table, and you have less power over how much you can help them. And then you have that third circle of responsibility to the people who you are representing in your game and like the broader world and how you represent it there and how you can be responsible there. So, totally recommend that. If you want a specific mechanical suggestion. Sorry, Bill, I know you have something.
3: No, I was gonna steal your mechanical suggestion. I'm hoping you're about to give. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Okay,
5: keep it in your mind. (laughs) My mechanical suggestion is to have a buddy let someone know that you're playing the game and uh, incentivizing the mechanics, telling them about it. Oh, which really cool. is funny because in The Beast, it's the complete opposite and you're not allowed to tell anyone. You have to like burn the journal at the end. Um,
3: a, which I is didn't good. burn the journal. No. And B, I told Send about it the whole time I was playing. Uh, yeah, it was
5: great. <laughs> Alexandra Santoska would say you're hacking the game. You have not played it. Yeah. yeah and, and not in a mean way. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but so yeah, maybe you have a buddy. Um, I think... Just the journaling alone. Uh, Journaling is like a good way that people process things. So it could be something like that. Um, There's also, you only play the beast one question card a day. Which I think is good.
3: (laughs) It's a de-escalation, right?
4: That is actually the thing that I was going to mention is to give, um, if you give the player the opportunity to basically de-escalate between things, that gives them the option to basically um, get to the intensity level that they prefer, and then they have the opportunity to back off until they want to engage again, right? Which as a single player, um, I have total control over. Um, That doesn't accomplish necessarily checking in with yourself, but I think that if it is a game in which you are journaling, it's something that you can include from a journaling perspective. Because if we think about journaling and the way that we tend to use it a lot of times, or at least the way that I tend to use it, and honestly, I'm, you know, therapy and everything, right? Like, and that's fine. Um, But journaling is a way that we can be introspective with ourselves to try to sort through what our feelings are when yep. we're not sure, yep. and yep. if you can incentivize that or at least create space for it, yep. you're going to create the ability for us to be honest with ourselves when we're playing the game, and that basically is that moment of check-in. And then if you have pauses and gaps, you have um, you have the ability for for them to control how intense they're going to get. Right?
0: Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's uh, I was
3: just going to tackle one thing from your game.
0: We have so much more information. We'll talk later. Yeah,
3: I, I just give one more piece of advice from uh, For the Queen, which is um, just allow people to X card a card, you know, or whatever it is, the prompt. Like, maybe if somebody hits something that's way too emotional um, because they're alone, just make sure that you empower them to be like, well, if, the, if this prompt is too much, mm-hmm. go pull another prompt.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, another other
2: questions?
1: I, I sort of do, but I kind of think like you kind of already answered it. Do you have any suggestions for like a set of resources that discuss a variety of
5: different safety tools and how they can be used, whatever. But it sounds like it's more just read a lot of games
1: as opposed to being collected in kind of a thoughtful, researched thing.
4: Right, that, so uh, yeah. if because you've ever been, research, I know. So the, the, the generalized, like just see a bunch of what's out there for tabletop mm-hmm. right now um, is um, the organizers of Breakout Con. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just check out their page, like this is like funny, right? But um, yeah. A, they do a really great job making sure that safety is present in all of their games, but the other thing that they did is they just put together a page um, that has like a blurb about like a ton of different safety tools on it. It just has a giant list and links to everything and like a basic, um, like this is kind of how this works, and then with the links to give you more information to everything. Um, And that is actually a resource that I share with people a lot because they're like I don't really know what's out there cool here's a page that just has a list of like 15 things well, like what was the name of that uh, Breakout Con
3: so that's uh, that's a uh, that's a gaming convention in Toronto in March it's um, organized yeah it's awesome it's organized by Kate Bullock um, <laughs> Rachel Shelkey, um, <coughs> Rob Double. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they yeah. are fantastic and it is so safety positive
1: yeah what uh,
5: You can you can make that you can make it.
1: Okay, that
5: you great. can make it. I, I I I personally believe in you uh, because it sounds like you have a game where you want that, or or a somewhat context in which you want that, and and you, I, I want you to create the thing that is specific to that context, and then I want you to email me helloalexroberts@gmail.com and I want you to tell me what you made. But also, um, I I personally don't really like using the thing where you at the top of at the start of the game say something that you don't that you want specifically not in the game cuz then i've already introduced it and i am like hey guys here's this thing that makes me really uncomfortable don't think about it and also i won't like it, it's weird to me it doesn't work for me but some people really like it and appreciate it and make it, and and consider it super important so see how that fits for you in your context
3: it's a tricky one right cuz mm. it's the don't think about it but at the same time if if we don't talk about it there's some percent chance we're going to drive right over it yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
5: and so i get why people like using
3: consider it important shane yeah
5: I wait wait know. well oh, oh. before we get to that question i want to actually satisfactorily answer your question though so do we have anything else for this for this person i'm sorry say it one more time for me
4: Yeah, I mean, so so the thing is that um, I can build, and, and, and what, what we've borrowed from LARP for Turning Point is the okay check-in has a has a yes and a no and a okay but no further and an I'm not sure. And, and there's a certain point at which when we're using gestures or things on the table or anything along those lines to represent safety in the moment, there's only so much detail that we can accomplish, right? But um, I think that when we start talking about like Um, using scene structures and that kind of thing so that there are natural breaks in which we can have conversations with each other. Um, I think those are the opportunities, probably to have that kind of conversation because you also know at that point the direction that the game is kind of going. And I think you have a better ability if you are predicting um, to be able to anticipate and say like, okay, we seem to maybe be steering into this thing that I'm really uncomfortable with, and if we're going to go in that direction, then what I need is this particular thing cannot happen on camera, or whatever it is, or, um, you know.
1: lines
4: Right, but you can can contextually do lines and veils. um, Throughout the game, they don't have to be a one and done. We did this at the beginning of the game, and now they are set in stone and done forever, and we are no longer discussing this.
5: And just to clarify, also, we never repeated for the podcast. This is a oh, question sorry. about: Is there a, g- a really good mechanic for communicating a specific need in a game? Um, are you familiar with the X card? Yes. I am. Okay. Cool. So, is yeah. So, are you saying that you want a mechanic to say? I'm curious if there's any out there. No, no. I'm, I'm trying to clarify what you're asking for. Like the so the need that you want fulfilled. Is it that you want something that you really want included in the scene?
1: with dragons
5: but you can't deal with fire. Cool, interesting. You're okay
3: with dragons, you can't deal with fire.
5: Okay. So, just to so you you want to just say at the top of the scene, "Hey, it seems like there's going to be a dragon in this scene. I just want to say dragons no problem, but this dragon cannot can we have the dragon not do this?" Yeah. I would I would love to, I would so again, like I don't think this tool exists and I I know it's like not a satisfying answer, but like I I genuinely want to hear cuz it sounds like you have a really specific need and I imagine other people have this need also. So I, I'm really curious as to what it could be. Sorry, we couldn't answer it better. Okay. I just wanted to chime in on that question. I kind of feel like you could probably use the support flower in a lot of ways with that.
2: People who are not uh, familiar with it, it's uh, they have the Seattle gamers, if I remember correctly. Um, kind of it has it a has center, which is red, it has uh, petals around it with yellow, and then it has outside one, it a green. And basically you kind of Green ones are basically to say like, yes, more of this, I like this, etc. It even has like little words on the outside. The yellow says, you know, be careful, I'm a little uncertain about this, watch out, and the red is like I, I don't need this, please not this. I think you can kind of you might be able to make use of that to a certain extent because at least you can, when when the dragon comes out, you know, you can kind of maybe you can say, you know, watch out, like I'm a little uncomfortable about this, and, and they can ask you for yeah. information about that or not, and that's kind of up to them. But you can do that
5: okay, Okay. so we Thank you uh, We are almost
3: oh. we're,
2: yeah, we're we're, So we're time. almost out of time
5: yeah. uh, A person in the back has recommended the support flower um, Is there like a quick online resource Where people can read more about that?
3: If you go to that breakout page yeah, the, the, the support flower break- is, okay, so is on there. there So the support
5: flower <laughs> is on the breakout page yep. So go and read more about that yep. uh, Also, as you're describing it um, I don't know if you've read Microscope But Microscope has some really good uh, like a, a sort of part of, it's a like phase based game where you're doing different things in different phases and one of the phases is of all the, you write a lot of stuff on index cards in this game and one of the phases is just let's write some things we really want to make sure that we see in our story we're really stoked on and let's write down on some other index cards some things that we just want to make sure aren't happening so like we're g- like this is gonna be an alien game there's gonna be aliens but I really don't want like a body takeover pod people stuff so I'm gonna put that I'm gonna put aliens over here and I'm gonna put pod people body takeover stuff over here and it's great because it's, it's the kind of mechanic we've been talking about where it fits it flows it's used for things more than safety and so it feels very natural and comfortable to use and it's not jarring um, so maybe there's a variation on that you could kind of play with. Um, I'm, I wish we had more time for questions but uh, yeah. there, there's so many wonderful things to talk about but basically uh, thank you all for coming. Um, Senda, <laughs> yeah. where can people find you on the internet? We're gonna quickly
4: plug ourselves. Oh yeah, good, fantastic. Um, so you can find me on the internet. and um, you can find it uh, she's a geek at sasgeek.com um, and on Twitter at sasgeek Podcast and you can find um panda talking games at panda talking games on Twitter and on misdirectedmark.com. And you can find me on Twitter at I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. And yes, it is unpronounceable. And yes, it is a joke. But it's Idella Mifflin. And if you can find it, that's amazing.
5: Branding.
3: Phil, uh, You can find me on the Misdirected Mark podcast uh, at 8.45 p.m. Uh, Eastern, every Tuesday, live on Twitch. Uh, you can also pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear me every Monday uh, when our episodes for Pandas Talk Games drop. You'll see my occasional uh, safety article plus active debate against the trolls on Gnome Stew, uh, where I like to, every couple every quarter or so, engage in another battle. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at DNAPhil.
5: Thank you. And uh, again, my name is Alex Roberts. You can find my Twitter handle, my podcast backstory, uh, links to my games, and my email address if you want to get in touch directly. All at helloalexroberts.com. Uh, thanks so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. Fun, fun. Hi, Jason.
3: I love doing it.
1: And slash play yeah.
4: yeah. right now, right? Oh, yes.
1: That's plan.
4: Get my.
5: Okay me right <laughs> just don't don't run away after, okay?
3: How are you? And, how are and, you sitting and there j- John, and
5: not? as soon as this panel ends, run. <laughs> get ready. I'm ready. Prepare you. You're, you're ready now. Good, because it's on. Um, it's actually not on because Sen does not here. We're going to respectfully wait for her.
3: I think we we give her a few minutes. I suspect she was going to go talk to somebody, but oh, there it is. There hey, she is. Hey, the
5: woman of the hour. Um, <laughs> I have to give out business cards! Oh, this. Is really
3: <laughs> okay, so, mics for speakers. Oh, I know, I've been uh, in this room already three times. That's right, times. you've been, like, living here. <laughs> Welcome back, Senda. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Panels on my jam. Do you have, like, a cut underneath
3: the table? Yeah. <laughs> right under the... Yeah,
4: right <laughs> down here. It's actually under the stage. Oh, okay. there's <laughs> A little it's more space. Kind of it's annoying. a little low, but it's, like, dark and quiet once they lock everything up. Is this one on? No. There we go. Yeah. Does,
0: yes.
3: Does everybody really need that? Like, yes. Yes. Yeah? This, this okay. room is
5: terrible. The
4: acoustics
3: okay. are oh. truly horrible. Okay, good. That's yes. awesome. This
5: is great, and now I, I don't have to strain my voice whatsoever. Um, but we're going to we're gonna try not to like hit the mic or spit into it. and We're going to try to turn it off when we're not talking and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm very picky about audio, I guess. Uh, Welcome everyone, and thank you for waiting. This is the panel on integrating safety mechanics into RPGs. Um, I think we should start by talking about what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. So we're not going to talk about whether or not safety mechanics are good. Uh, We're not going to list a bunch of safety mechanics and then evaluate them or compare them to each other and say which one is best. Um, Quick check down the table. Do you think it's impossible or fruitful to evaluate a safety mechanic outside of its context, both cultural and mechanical? Yeah, no. No? Phil? I agree. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, And we're not even going to ask if safety culture is more or less important than safety mechanics. Uh, An argument about whether or not we should take care of each other, or to what extent we should take care of each other, it's just not a part of this particular conversation. I would still have that conversation, but it's not this one. Um, let's talk about what we are going to talk about. Senda, do you want to introduce yourself? We can go down the line and do that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm a little frazzled. That's okay. We don't have to start with you. We can start oh, no. way. I'm a pro at this, too. <laughs> this is my fifth panel, this Metatopia. Um, hi. <laughs> I'm Senda Leno. I am one half of She's a Super Geek, which is an actual play podcast. Um, highlighting women as GMs. I'm also one half of Pandas Talking Games, which is a cool show about GMing advice for one-shots versus campaigns. Um, and I write for Gnome Too, and I'm also designing um, games, um, including uh, one that is particularly built for Bleed, which is why I'm sitting here today.
3: My name's, oh, that's loud. My name's Phil Vecchione. Uh, I'm uh, one of the co-hosts of the Mistractive Mark podcast, I'm one of the co-hosts uh, with Senda on Pandas Talk Games. Uh, I am one of the founding uh, gnomes for Gnome Stew, and I have on or off for the past several years written a number of articles on safety in gaming. Uh, I have fought a number of arguments about the validity of safety in gaming. Uh, And as Senda said, we are uh, co-designing a game uh, specifically uh, designed for Bleed, so safety was uh, something that was very much uh, in the forefront of our design.
5: And I'm Alex Roberts. Uh, I host the Backstory podcast on the One Shot Network where I s- steal people's ideas about what to do in game design and also share them with the rest of the world. And uh, and I'm also a game designer. I, I designed uh, Starcrossed and For the Queen, both of which are going to be publicly available early 2019, Uh, and a couple of other things. I made a cool game for the hashtag feminism supplement. I'm in everybody else's books like a dirty shirt, and I love talking, especially in person, not so much online anymore, about (laughs) safety mechanics and how fun they are, and taking care of people in a more general sense. Uh, I'm also working towards a master's in counseling, so I do a lot of in-person taking care of people. Um, so, having introduced ourselves, uh, we should establish that we're going to really be speaking from our own experience of design, more so than like looking at the general milieu, and talking about we're making games that we want to be enabling other people to take care of each other and take care of themselves at the table. Um, so, talking about how what we do culturally and interpersonally can be systematized such that when other people run our games, they're incentivized or enabled or empowered to do what we like to see at the table um, so let's whoever wants to start can talk about how that's happening in our design right now
4: oh you're looking at me okay do you yeah.
3: want me to talk about it or? I mean I
5: can talk about it it's fine
3: I guess we can share that topic
4: <laughs> <laughs> we shared the game so yeah um, yeah, so the game that Phil and I are designing that we actually just um, did the high test for here, so it, we're, we're getting to a very close to done point, hopefully you will see more information about it soon, um, is a game called Turning Point. Um, it is a collaborative dramatic decision-making engine in which um, you are playing collectively um, a single person who is facing an extremely difficult decision in their life. And it's one of those moments that we've all had where you are literally faced with a life changing decision and it's one of those like heart wrenching do I maybe maybe it's do I stay with this partner or do I leave Um, or maybe it's do I have a baby or do I not do I take um, this drug that might change my life but that could have this terrible side effect right Um, so it's the kind of decisions that we as humans are facing all the time Um, but because of that it is a game that um, has the potential um, for a lot of feels for lack of a better word um, or bleed is another word that, you know, we toss around a lot when we talk about um, emotions that travel from our experience in character into that we take away from the game and bring with us out into the world and into our lives. Um, and so, yes.
3: Well, I just wanted to mention bleed intention. So it, bleed was intentionally in design
1: yes. consideration.
3: So part of the mechanic of the game is that uh, you draw these heartstrings Uh, for different reasons in the game, and one of those reasons is if you have a personal connection to anything that's going on in the scene. So we actively encourage people to emotionally connect to each of the scenes, which comes with its own uh, risks.
4: Right, so then knowing that and knowing we're designing that game, we as designers have an obligation to do everything that we can to create um, not only the tools, um, but the culture of safety at that table to give people a good experience of being vulnerable, right? Um, to create a safe space for people to be vulnerable in. Um, so um, do you want me to go into details about what we did? Sorry,
5: I lost track of the question. <laughs> it's day three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of Sunday energy up yeah. here today. Um, well, so I'm, I'm curious about how, uh, how the specific demands and affordances of that design, um, what, what does that allow, what does that demand in terms of keep taking care of each other, right? How does safety in that game look specifically and how are you thinking about that as a designer?
4: Right, so one of, there are two really key considerations that, um, that I think we went into that game with, which um, the first one was um, basically having a way to have active consent for what is currently occurring in the game. Um, Because you can be in the middle of a scene and it can be really cool for one person who's going, yes, this is really deep and I love it. And the person that they're in the scene with needs to also be on board. So we don't want to be dragging someone along for the ride just because it's cool for me, right? Just because it's cool for me doesn't mean that it's cool for Alex. Um, So one of the specific considerations that we were dealing with was how do we without actually interrupting the game unless we need to for a safety reason to stop, right? But how do we have a means to check in with people and make sure that my good experience is a good experience for you too and that you're still on board? Or even if that experience is you're having an awesome experience and you wanna push harder, I'm okay here, but I don't wanna go any further? Um, Or if that experience is I'm having a lot of emotions right now and I'm not actually entirely sure what I'm feeling and maybe I need to figure that out before I can give you an answer, which is a valid response, right?
3: And from a design point of view, it didn't start that way. Right, So we, we
4: discovered this.
3: <laughs> our initial design for safety was the ability to revoke consent. Yes. So, um, the, you know, the first tool we, we used was the X card, right? right? The ability to say, nope, stop what we're doing. Uh, And then over time, as we kept playing it, uh, we moved from just revoke consent to um, valid, like continuing to get continuous active consent. Right.
4: And the ability to get continuous active, like check-in to see where everybody is. And and what does that look like in terms
1: of the rules for that? Right.
4: In terms of the rules for that, so we actually reached into, um, did a ton of research into LARP stuff, which is not what I have ever done. I'm I'm not a LARPer, although I might end up being, having done all this research now. Um, (laughs) So we we turned to the LARP community, and what what we did is um, looked into a lot of the tools that are being used in LARP to identify um, when a situation is good or bad, because in LARP it is much harder to see those lines. Um, And what we ended up taking away was basically the OK check-in from LARP, which is a system of hand signals Um, that the folks used to be like, are we okay? So it's still nonverbal. It still doesn't interrupt um, the scene that's at stake. Um, We basically just um, adapted it a little bit to work at the table instead of in an active up walking around sort of way. And it gives everyone at the table the chance at any time to be like, hey, are we still okay? Like even if you're not actively involved in the scene, you can say like, are we all cool with what's happening here? Like that's how are
5: we? <laughs> right. There's there's a big cultural taboo against, like, interrupting people when they're speaking. Unless you're a white man, of course. Uh, but, <laughs> but generally speaking, like, uh, I think people don't want to do it. Like, some are more comfortable than others. But it's generally, like, a rude thing. And it's mean, especially when people are talking about really important, vulnerable things. And so it would be great if we could just learn to kind of cut in. But we want to meet people where they're at. And so the ability for anyone at the table to just do a quick, like, check around, are we all good? And And that empowers, and that makes it not just the GM's job, or not the person running the scene's job, or not the person who's having a bad time's job, Um, although they still have some personal responsibility to respond, honestly, um, but empowers everyone at the table to say like, if you, like, you can check in with everybody, anybody, at any time.
4: Right, and it it gives... um there's a secondary aspect to it, right, which is if I'm sitting there and I'm having a great time but I look across the table and I go, it looks like he might be in distress. And I'm not sure, and this is a personal experience that actually he and I have had, which is, I'm looking across the table and I think he might be in distress. What do I do if he's lost track, like if he's too distressed to notice that, um, or to remember that there are tools in place to help us with this, right? Because that's a thing that can happen. If you go into a triggered place, you don't always remember what's there to help you get back out of that space. So I can take some part of the responsibility for the entire table in that I can check in, right? And that check-in is a way for me to give people an opportunity to give me feedback. So it doesn't just fall on me like, um, I mean, at the end of the day, the ultimate responsibility for my safety is dependent on my communication and if I have a problem, right? but it gives us a culture where we can ask each other and remind each other, are you okay? Is this still good? Are we still in a safe place? I'm not sure about how you're feeling right now, so I want to find out because I care about you. Because, and I think this is the key thing about safety, right, like um, when it comes right down to it, we love games. They are fun and we're here to have fun and play games, but every single human who is sitting at that table is more important than the game. Right, And that's really what it just comes down to. It's like, I care about all of you more as humans than I care about if my game goes perfectly or we play through to the end or any of those things, right? That's the important part.
3: So one other nice thing about the OK Check-In was we started testing the game online for online play, and the tool works equally as well when you're playing in Hangouts. Because now we're not in the same physical space, but I can easily just hold up to my camera the OK symbol, and now everybody else can check in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it worked out really well. We tested it at GauntletCon, and people like were able to take to it immediately. So now, now we can bring that culture of safety into the online game as well as the in-person game.
5: That's, that's very encouraging. Um, something. Can I talk about StarCraft for a little bit? Oh my gosh, please, please talk do. about StarCraft because I adore it. And thank you for letting <laughs> us travel about Turning Point. <laughs> Uh, uh, Turning Point sounds like it's coming along really well. I was excited to talk to people who are playing it. Um, That's right. So StarCrossed comes with a beautiful, lovely, uh, high-quality cardstock X card that sits right in the middle of the table. And um, StarCrossed is a game about two people who are having an essentially forbidden relationship. They're having a relationship that's very intimate, and within the boundaries that the two players themselves have set, fictionally, it's somehow wrong. It's culturally taboo, or they, it's conflicting with their own values, or, or whatever. L- lots of things could be happening that are putting them in this Romeo and Juliet situation. Uh, and it's a game that I've specifically designed to have two players play with a lot of discomfort. It's a game where I wanted them to feel uncomfortable in a, in a compelling, interesting, productive way. Um, and so I, I've written in the rules that it's really up to you to know, okay, what is the difference between good discomfort and bad discomfort, between an acceptable level and too much. Um, but so the X card is there for you to say, like, okay, this is this is too much uh, backspace, or or let's go in a different direction, let's do something better, or let's not go there, you know, fade to black, whatever you need it to do, and it's, and it's outlined and explained in the context of the game. But there's also a secret hidden bonus safety mechanic Mm -hmm. that not everyone picks up on which is that um, uh, Starcrossed has a scene structure so rather than being one long continuous game uh, where you're always in character or you're always kind of talking focused on the game or there being a break or whatever it's up to eight scenes and so at the end of any of of the scene you stop you turn over the card and you get the title of the next scene that you're about to play out and this is not explicitly labeled as like check-in time, but that's what every single player uses it to do. And it's very often a, ooh, wow, oh, this, oh my gosh, I love where we're going with this. Can we, can we talk more about this in the next scene? Because that's, in, in the mechanics, designed to be the time when you decide what the next scene's going to be about. And that's, you know, that's not an explicitly a safety thing, but it's a great time for either player to say, we're gonna have 10 to 15 minutes qu- of questions at the end, so please write that down, don't forget it. Um, for, the, for either player to say, yeah, I love where we're going with this, or to also say, hey, can we set this next scene in a completely different way, or let's have a lighter scene, or whatever. Um, and people not only advocate for their own needs in that, in that moment, but in play testing, I've noticed that that's when people check in on the other person. They almost never do it in scene, but in those little breaks is very often when one player will say to the other like who oh, is this getting too intense for you or like i kind of i kind of took things in this direction in the last scene do you want to keep pursuing that or we can we can we don't have to talk about that more so I, I do think that people want to care about each other in general. Some people don't. I can't stop them. I, I, we talked about this when we were putting this panel together. We can't make you give a shit about other human beings. But if you do, we can give you lots of opportunities to enact that care. And so what I've noticed is that people who care about the other person at the table, um, they take that, that time. They really appreciate whether or not they realize it. Um, they capitalize on that time to, to check in with the other person.
3: Uh, you also have one other mechanism uh, as a like the ultimate safety valve, like the game ends when the tower falls.
5: And, and you're free to push it over whenever you want. And that's a perfectly legitimate ending to the game. And it's a great, lovely, climactic, like, wow, let's knock over the table because I'm having such a good time. I want to leave right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can even, I don't know if anyone's ever done it, but I truly hope that someone out there is doing the, like, oh, uh, I have to go to the bathroom, and also I'm never coming back here to talk to you again. in Starcross takes the form of, I'm going to pull a brick. Oh, whoops, I knocked it over. <laughs> anyway. I'm leaving forever. <laughs> uh, so, yes, that's, that's the <coughs> other secret hidden safety mechanic um, that that yeah you can just take advantage of whenever. Um, so yeah, just enabling people to take care of themselves and take care of each other. Like just give them the space to do that. I think most people want to do it. Um, I have another thing I want to talk about. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I don't absolutely. want to talk about all no, no, the no. time. So Unless I'm also you have
4: so many games with cool safety stuff. Oh, send it. Just
5: keep going. Don't even. (laughs) (laughs) You care about people so much in such a practical way. Um, I am also the production manager at Bully Pulpit Games. Uh, They made Fiasco, and right now we're in the process of making a cool new version of Fiasco. Uh, If you haven't played it, it's a game of high ambition and poor impulse control. So it's about schmucks who take on way more than they can handle and things get wacky and out of control and they usually end up completely screwed. In fact, you're deliberately playing a game to have a chump character who gets totally screwed over. And so you make yourself the butt of all the jokes. It's like the anti-D&D, it's the anti-hero fantasy. Um, it's the fantasy of just like, just get a complete nonsense fiasco. So this is a game that I love. It was like the first story game that I've played and was just like, oh my God, this is great. Um, and it's, it's a great game, but that is a game that can go so sideways; it's unbelievable. Uh, we, we talked about it as. <laughs>
3: what did you say? Say, say what you said. About I, I said it's
5: a beautiful <laughs> game, but in terms of safety, it's like a game that's covered in knives. <laughs> like you have to hold it like this, <laughs> and then you can have a great a great time. Um, so, for the second edition, there's lots of things that we're changing. Uh, you know, it's on cards now, it's a little easier to set up, it's more approachable, blah, blah, blah. But so much of what we're doing behind the scenes is to tighten up all those safety things. and to um, It's like baby-proofing a house. Like, we're just we're making sure that all these things are okay and that people now have tools to control their game so that they can play it in the way that they want to. Because if everybody wants to do this totally wacky out there thing, um, that's awesome. But we need to make sure that everybody at the table is playing the kind of game that they want to and having the kind of things happen that they are totally con- like enthusiastically on board with. And Fiasco is not a game that's like Turning Point where you're really drawing on yourself and really talking about realistic things that have happened to you in your life. I think you can play it that way, but people generally don't. It's generally a humor game. It's a funny game. It's just silly, right? And that's where those are the games that I think need safety mechanics the most, more than anything. I have felt more uncomfortable in funny games than I have in games that are like quote unquote serious. Uh, and I'm a larp'er. Okay, I know what I know what bummer games are. <laughs> um, and it's and it's it's humor games when I think more people cross lines and say things that are really not okay and introduce content that is not acceptable. Um,
3: there's a curve, right? There's a curve for comedy. So like that's what happens in fiasco, like it starts to get wacky and then it piles on and piles on and eventually somebody crosses a line. Yeah. And the first time I played the first time I played Fiasco, which was like right before it was published, like I, I did one of the early reviews for it and we ran the game with no understanding of safety tools whatsoever. And one of the players in the game said something really offensive and it was I don't know, like everybody at the table laughed, but in retrospect, like looking back, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe somebody said that. Mm -hmm. And there was no, like we had nothing for it, right? Like we just barreled through it. We kind of laughed and moved on to the next scene, but it it was a game where it was like, oh, I love playing Fiasco, but I won't play it in public. Like I won't play it at a con. I'll play it like at home right. with friends. This way, God forbid something gets set at the table, it doesn't spill out and offend somebody else. Sure. Like, and, and, and that's how I started treating that game, which is probably not the best way you wanna. Like, <laughs> it's like you said, covered in knives. Like,
5: well, it's, it's gonna hurt
0: somebody yeah. if you let it roll around. And
5: if you know Steve and Jason, who who made it, like they're the sweetest sweetest mm-hmm. boys, and, and they're very caring, and they want people to be able to play this game in a way that in a way where they take care of each other and and tell their fun stories and everybody has fun, (laughs) not at other people's expense and not hurting each other. So it's been really interesting to figure out, okay, what do we do with this? Like, oh, it's cards-based. One of those cards is going to have a big old X on it. (laughs) But also, how do we take advantage of the affordances of the game, right? So Fiasco also has a scene structure. It also has, okay, this is your scene. Okay, we've resolved it. Now it's your scene. That's... That's how the game is structured. How do we take advantage of those little blanks between, between scenes and do something StarCross-y? Uh, where that's a really good time to reorient if things are going wrong or if you're not okay with something, that's a good recalibration time. Um, the other thing is a lot of the language in the rules it can still have. If you've ever read Fiasco, it's very much like you're a chump and you're a schmuck and you're going to get fucked over. And we want to have that kind of we want we wanted to have that feel because it communicates the feeling of the game really well. But how do we write safety mechanics in such a way that the is that the essence of how they're used still gets communicated in a way that doesn't seem like because uh, if we suddenly just interject like. But of course, we have to care about each other and we love each other so much, it's going to look like it's not really part of the game or it's like an interruption or an intrusion somehow. So we're, so we're writing, a, and this is what you got to do if someone's being a, a, I mean, this is not in the thing, but I'm thinking about, okay, do we write it like, hey, if someone's being a dingus at your table and screwing things up for other people, this is what you do and you can get back on the right track. Uh, you know, ha- have fun and don't eat. like, so, r- so r- writing Safety Mechanics as we're re- rewriting Fiasco in a way that where it's all integrated, it's all part of it, um, is, it's been a really cool and fun and interesting challenge. It's one of the m- things I'm most excited about for a new Fiasco.
3: Can I call back one of your metaphors and kind of talk a little bit about that? So, <laughs> you, so you, you had said, you know, you're baby-proofing the house, right? So <laughs> the thing is, when you, when you baby-proof a room, you baby-proof different rooms differently. So, like, for instance, the kitchen gets a lot more baby-proofing, right? Like, the cabinets get locked and the stove knobs get covered and stuff like that. But, like, maybe, you know, like, maybe the living room has, you know, the plug covers and, you know, a few things to make sure the TV doesn't tip over. But I think that kind of goes to, as you're designing your game, you have to start looking at what do you need to baby-proof, right? What room is this? You know, in terms of games, something like Turning Point is like, you know, baby proofing your kitchen. Something like, you know, Fiasco is like baby proofing the garage. (laughs) um, And and this doesn't mean better or worse or more or
5: less. This means that you have to take different approaches depending on what is in there. What's in the room? Guard those things. Uh, We were talking, we all really admired the way that um, the X card is introduced in Bluebeard's Bride because not only do they say this is a tool that you have and here's how to use it, they also say here's some examples of how it might come up because Bluebeard's Bride is about very specific, uh, it's a game of feminine horror um, by uh, Whitney Strix Beltran and Melissa Kelly and uh, Sarah Richardson, it's a beautiful, lovely, very interesting, very frightening and disturbing game. And so the way they introduce it is this kind of material is gonna come up. It's totally different than how we would talk about it in a comedy game. The other thing that Bluebeard's Bride does lots of other things to keep you safe. When they talk about safety, they they just say like, "This is a game that is about these horrifying things. If any of those things don't interest you, you can edit some of them out. But if in general none of that is appealing to you, play another game. Like don't don't try to force yourself through this game that is going to be about these terrifying things. Bluebeard, the the art on Bluebeard's Bride is beautiful, and it has this cover of this like disturbing image of that's kind of ambiguous but like very sort of, oh my gosh. It, that, is, that art is a gift because either you know right away because it's so vivid either, yeah, this is, an, this is something I want to explore and this is a kind of horror that's really relevant to my life and the things that I've experienced and how I think about things. I, wa- I want to dig into this. Or you look at the exact same piece of art and you're like, cool, keep that away from me. I do not want to get into that. I don't want to get into it with other people. Like vivid art, vivid descriptions, how you write the game, how you present the material that's going to be in it up front. All of that is a gift to potential players to let them know how they they have to keep themselves safe and also let them know whether or not they want to play your game. We talk a lot about how to pitch your game in such a way that people will want to play it, but please keep in mind that you need to let them know whether or not it's actually a good idea for them to play it because it may not be.
3: Right. And even from a layout perspective, there's a difference between putting the safety information in a sidebar as opposed to putting it in as a chapter, right? That says something about the game to the players, right? If I'm just, if I've got a sidebar that says, oh yeah, like let's have some safety in this game, right? It it conveys a certain tone, but if I have dedicated part of a chapter or a chapter, like it's actually in the index, it's actually in the table of contents that says safety, that's a very different message we're sending. So it extends all the way through graphic design.
4: Mm-hmm. Right, and, and, and beyond that, writing it into the actual instructions themselves so that when we hit the points in the game where we're like, okay, and then you know, when you're setting up this character, you're going to answer these particular questions to make sure that you have you know, guided this particular scenario. This is just happens to be a turning point because that's what's on my mind right now, of course. Um, but like, so this particular scenario, like, let's talk through what we're comfortable coming up in this scenario as we create characters. Like, now it's not only built into, like, the chapters of my book. It's built into my character creation process, that we're going to have this conversation. Like, this is part of playing that game. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, it's in the rules. Like, as you go through it step by step and set up this game, you're going to do these things. And again, like Alex says, like, I can't force you to care (laughs) about the people at your table, but I can give you every opportunity (laughs) To take those moments and, 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 you know, give a shit. Please <laughs> just give a shit. Well, or, <laughs> well if, if, you do, if you do, if you do, then. If you do, I now. mean, if you don't, then.
3: Uh. If you don't, please put this book down.
2: Put the book down.
3: <laughs> please, please put, put down. this book down and <laughs> don't hurt anyone. Walk away. <laughs> yeah, send it back to us. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: I, I Can I also talk about For the Queen, which I've been working on? Oh my
4: gosh, yeah.
5: Yeah. Uh, so I got to. Pl- For the Queen is a. Um, A very structured question-based storytelling game uh, where you go around a table and you pull cards and answer questions about um, a journey that you're on your relationship to other characters and your relationship to a queen nobody plays the queen we don't know anything about the queen at the start of the game we only learn about her through people's answers to the questions they can answer them however they want the themes that come up in this game are themes about Intense relationships that you have with people who are way more powerful than you. So stuff can come up, you know. Um, there's, when you pull a card, you can answer that question. You can also X this question, so it's not a part of the game, nobody answers it. Or you can pass to the person on your right and say, I, I'd rather hear your answer to this question. And so that gives you a couple of different levels with which to interact. So you like, you know, there's, there's stuff on this card that I personally don't want to get into, but I'm okay with it being at the table. Someone else can make it a part of their character, but I don't, I don't want to ask myself this question right now. Um, you can also X an answer, though. You can you can use the X card in, in however it's normally used to, to backspace on anything or to take a different take on anything, but the way that I explain it in For the Queen I specifically talk about xing a card or passing a card. And it's it's also explained as a safety mechanic, and again, as not just a safety mechanic, because you're also building a character. And so you could just as easily say, oh, this, this card doesn't really fit the story that we've been telling, it's really out of place. Or you could say, when you're passing, oh, th- yeah, this just doesn't really work given what I've established for my character, so I'm just moving it on. And both of those actions, whether you're doing that for your comfort or safety, or just for the you know, sake of the story it doesn't really work, all of those actions look identical. So you can talk about why you're passing it if you want, you also don't have to, we don't have to get into it. And all of that power is in the person who's playing, uh, the person who's drawing that card. And what's important to me is that the game does not suffer when people pass and X. And so, in playtesting, I like to see people use that mechanic a lot, and see, does, okay, does that take away from the from the story, does that interrupt the story? And I'm not happy with that mechanic until it's a smooth part of the process, and it's part of the game, and it helps the game get better. My I played it with someone who uh, experiences lots of anxiety, and it's a very close-to-home game for them, and, uh, and also, they don't usually play RPGs, and so they don't know what the expectations <gasps> and what they should do, you know, is and they taught me so much about this game. I'm so grateful to this person. They're thanked in the, in the game because they passed and X'd almost every card they got for the first like third of the game. They were just like, oh, whoa. And it was awesome. And we ended up with a really unique queen. It was a very different game, but it was a totally satisfying game. And when I spoke with them afterwards, they described their experience as totally satisfying and great things to say about the game. And I, I, enjoy, I was part of it. I wasn't observing it and I enjoyed it very much. And like, that's the test, right? Like, when people use your mechanics, watch what happens, encourage your playtesters to use it, put a plant in there if you have to, use them yourself if you have to, and see what happens, what happens when people use it. Um, I want to ask about taking care of your players in a long-term like campaign context, uh, and I specifically want to ask you two about it because I've never run a long campaign, I don't, I don't know anything about it.
4: I know the, the person we should actually ask is Phil because we have this show called Pandas Talking Games where I talk about one
5: shots, oh, and he talks about campaigns. Wow, that's so wild! It's like I had the sense that that was the case.
1: It's crazy. crazy.
3: So yeah, when we talk about uh, safety in campaigns, uh, there's a couple things that we there's a couple things that we have to we can take advantage of, and a couple things that become pitfalls. So the thing that we can take advantage of is that when we play a longer-term campaign, we actually start to know the people that we're playing with, right? This is the advantage of one-shots and and online games. So like my regular gaming group, one of my players has um, a a line about spiders. So it's easy. When we play games, we just don't play with spiders. Uh, It's a thing I know. I've been playing with this person for 20 years. So it's a thing that um, we we almost don't even have to establish. And, And therein lies the pitfall. So, the thing that happens in long-term play is that we start to get lax about our safety tools because we establish. If we've done a good job, we establish them right up front, right? We did our session zero. We did some. Maybe we did some lines and veils. Um, maybe we're still. Maybe we're still good. Like we still. Even when we play the game, and I know I'm guilty of this because I've done this myself. But I will put my X card out and not even introduce it again. Right, because I've, I've, right, I've been playing with these people forever. So I'm just like, okay, let's get set up for the game, boom, X card on the table, let's get going. Um, but what happens is we get more familiar, and we start to kind of lose a little of like the ritual of the way we introduce things. These things start to become invisible. And we can run into that problem where uh, we have safety tools on the table that now people have kind of forgotten. And so either starting your game with a ritual that kind of reinforces those safety tools um, or having a safety check, like hey, like like for instance, I was playing um, Tales from the Loop, which doesn't have any really explicit safety tools. So we, you know, we threw the X card on the table because uh, we thought that was from a risk level safe enough. Um, but you know, every few games, I'd be like, okay, everybody, remember the X card's on the table. It's right here. If you have any content, you know, that you're uncomfortable with, we're just going to touch it and we'll deal with it. And just that few minutes of bringing it back to everyone's attention means that it, it like becomes more visible again. So yeah, there's there's it's it's a double-edged sword, right? So you gain that familiarity. So I know how to steer my game around. Like we're not going to go into a tunnel and find a million spiders, right? That's not a story we're going to play in this game. But at the same time, we we become sometimes lax about some of the other tools. So can we, I
4: can I ask you a question? Yeah. To build into that, do you have any thoughts on? Um, because we're writing a game that is built as a one-shot and Starcrossed is a Mm one-shot and Fiasco is a one-shot. If you're writing a game and you want to write safety tools in for a campaign, what do you think you would do differently?
3: So I I, I think then you have to start cooking them into kind of the ritual of the startup of the game uh, so that and especially if your game has phases, like something like Blades from the Dark, which doesn't have explicit safety tools, has very hard edges about the phases of that game. So Blades and Scum and Villainy, to, um, to the same extent, have those hard edges. Those are places where you could start interjecting those pieces. Um, like, hey, we're going on a mission. Is there anything we don't want in this mission? Right? Like we can have that talk before every mission if we needed to, and it would bake it in. Um, making any part of the safety tool part of the handouts. Like, for instance, we did this with, even though Turning Point's a one-shot, the OK check-in is actually a graphic on the character sheet. So it is front and center to the characters at all times. So putting safety tools on your character sheet for uh, for a, you know a game that you're going to run in a campaign style just keeps it present. It keeps it right in front of them. Uh, those kinds of things. I think you just have to kind of put them into the processes of the game.
5: Mm-hmm. And I... Uh I don't know if games designed for a long-form campaign play include instructions or suggestions about checking in with your players in between uh, sessions, because I think that's a good idea, not, like, not even from a, a safety perspective, but just like, a, hey, what do you think about the campaign? Here's some ideas I have about like potential stuff we could do in the future. What's interesting to you about the campaign so far? Is there stuff that about your character that isn't coming out you think could be fun, etc.? and then like if that becomes normal where you're just asking about content in general i think that's also a really good spot to be like also you seemed a bit like kind of checked out last last session was there something that was bothering you or or oh, okay cool or oh that that stuff you didn't feel great about oh, i'm sorry i didn't catch it at the time but moving forward we'll do whatever so i think that i think there are lots of special opportunities for care and to get to know people but but you're yeah. right that that familiarity i i think is interesting and i that's something that I haven't seen, possibly because I don't read a ton of games that are designed for campaign play, but I would love to see in something like A Blades in the Dark and the many Forged in the Dark games that like, probably people here are working on, would love to see those kinds of check-ins become more formalized and become a, a part of the mechanic in, in the way that uh, you know, we designing one-shots are, are formalizing uh, steps towards care. Um, we want to have about 10, 15 minutes for questions. So uh, we can just kind of summarize and wrap up. What's, uh, let's, let's each just say one or two things that you want to make sure people remember. Oh, gosh, they all looked at me. Um,
4: good. Um, I, uh, <laughs> no, I'm on the spot. I have no idea. No problem. Phil, do you
3: have something? Yeah, I'm just going to go back to that baby-proofing metaphor, right? It's when you're looking at the design of your game, look for what the edges are in your game. Like, if your game's about poverty, if your game is about oppression, whatever it is, look for what those are, and, and then look at the available tools and kind of match. Um, I mean, it's essentially, it's a risk assessment. How, how emotionally risky is my game. Some games are not emotionally risky, and they don't need heavy safety tools. Some games are purposely made to be emotionally risky, and you need to you need to adjust how you deal with that accordingly.
4: Some games are sneakily emotionally risky, like Fiasco.
5: Well, <laughs> we can't keep bragging on Fiasco.
4: I worked. No, man. No, it's a fantastic game. I can't <laughs> right. wait to we see what you do it.
5: with it. But I, but I think, so we're picking on Fiasco because I know it really well, but what we're talking about is comedy games, games that are well-lent to comedy. And I, when we talk about is a game emotionally risky, they potentially all are because we're just humans sitting at a table, and, and humans, we can hurt, we have such power to hurt each other. Um, but comedy is about is a little bit about transgression and, and the unexpected by its nature. So I so, one of the things that I'm going to say to take away is uh, consider comedy a high risk situation because that's that's when people get to blurt out things, and that's when people get to you know. Uh, Cross lines a little bit, and that can be in a f- transgression. Can be fun, and cool. And there are some, you know, there are some lines in our society that I think it's cool and rad to cross. But people have personal lines as well. That you need to respect, right? Um, the other takeaway is uh, to think about the w- the ways in which your game that you're designing right now, because you're at Metatopia, so I'm just going to assume you're designers. Uh, think about the ways that they incentivize or disincentivize. Active listening. To what extent are you rewarding people for paying very close attention to each other? Um, I'm going to brag and say that in in start in uh, sorry for the queen, because everyone has a turn and you draw one card and you think about it for a while and then you kind of hold the floor until it's the next person's turn, and they're saying you are saying important stuff about that's going to affect everyone else's narrative. You are very highly incentivized. Pay very close attention to that person at that moment. So, you're, whether or not you realize it, you're learning a lot about their emotional state in that moment, what they look like when they're in that emotional state, um, what content they're struggling with, and which content they're very comfortable with. Um, so, note the ways in which your players are learning to look out for each other, and see each other, and and so that when they when they do those little OKs for each other, they have a reason to do that because they start to know. They're, they're automatically looking at each other to see like, okay, that person may need a hand, what, what's up with them? So those, those are my two takeaways. One, watch out for comedy, it'll get you. Uh, and, and two, uh, yeah, try, try to figure out how to reward people to do that. And then tell me how you're doing it, because I'm very interested.
4: Yeah. I'm having a moment where I just looked at Phil, I'm like, hey, we did that. Cool.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Turning Point has a very
5: focused... (laughs) Welcome to the (laughs) self-congratulation panel. We're going to be speaking for a little while about our our many accomplishments. No, welcome to
4: the the panel where I sit up here and go, oh, good, I'm learning things from Alex. I'm just going (laughs) to... No. But
5: we did that by accident. That's wonderful. Uh, We learned a lot putting this together. Like, put together panels about stuff you're interested in. You will will learn a lot from each other. Please do that. Uh, So now it's time, speaking of learning, it's time for questions. Uh, put us on the spot and, and tell us what you're interested to know. Kevin, I'm so glad you remembered yeah, yeah, your question.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to bring it to StarCrossed, and this is what you talked about there, about your scene changes being where the players were looking at a safety mechanic. So was that intentional design, accidental design, or emergent design?
5: Um, very little about StarCrossed. Very little about any of my games is like intentional from the start. Very, very intuitive approach. It's how I generously describe my haphazard approach, but I think the point, part of the point of playtesting is noticing what people do with what you throw on the table. And so it's half unintentional, where that was just something that I started to notice, and then half intentional, where, okay, now when I'm talking about that moment in the rules, I'm gonna just, just note, note of that, and I'm going to make sure I keep that in the next iteration of the game. I'm gonna make sure I centralize that. I'm gonna make sure that I have beautiful, colored, cute little uh, scene cards and not just a list of scenes, so that there's a ritual moment of turning, right? So there's things that you can uh, purposely throw in there, but see what they actually do and you got to kind of hold on to them. So thank you, that's a very good question.
4: Yeah, um, that was an interesting thing that actually happened for us in Turning Point as well, because it is also a scene-based system, um, and because you are passing around the main character. Um, one of the things that began by accident and then became very intentional for us is that there's no one on the hot seat for the entire game. Like, no one is taking the brunt of all of that stuff one scene after another for the whole game. You have pauses between and next scene, you don't even have to be actively, um, you don't have to be actively speaking in it. You're going to be actively engaged in it, but you don't have to actively um, participate in a spoken way. So you get these downbeats to kind of basically have high emotional energy and then you can like bring it back down and basically have control over your beats of where your emotions go. Yeah.
0: Colin? I have a question. I'm, I'm, kind of well, I'm working on <coughs> I'm, I'm curious so we talked about a lot of uh, helping each other out I'm, I'm curious about self-care I'm working on a solo game which hits a lot of emotions and also self-harm and, and figuring out anxiety. Uh, I am curious about if y'all had any suggestions for like solo solo tools or, or anything like that where it's not so much like, are you okay? It's more of like, am I okay? Because that's super hard for me. That's him. super so,
3: fascinating. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> now thinking about my time playing The Beast.
5: Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I started thinking about, too. So one thing, read a lot of other one-player games. So read uh, Twain by Jay Lee, definitely The Beast by Alexandra Slantowska. Um, I would also recommend, I'll let you take a note, but, oh, sorry. Also, the question for for the podcast (laughs) later, the question was about uh, one-player games and how we take care of ourselves. I would also recommend the safety chapter in the new version of Monster Hearts, which is also a great knife-covered game. Like a great example of a game that was beautiful and has amazing moments and in its original form also lots of crevices and sharp edges to get caught in and the new version is a beautiful example of how to keep all of the great stuff in your game while also now empowering players to because you now you know what to watch out for and to say here's what to watch out for here's what to do about it so there's a whole chapter in there and Avery, uh, Avery Alder the designer talks about the circles of responsibility and about how you how you have the most responsibility for yourself because that's who you have the most power over you have responsibility for the other people at the table and you have less power over how much you can help them and then you have that third circle of responsibility to the people who you are representing in your game and like the broader world and how you represent it there and how you can be responsible there so totally recommend that If you want a specific mechanical suggestion, sorry, Phil, I know you have something.
3: No, I was going to steal your mechanical suggestion, I'm hoping you're about to give Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Okay,
5: keep it in your mind. (laughs) My mechanical suggestion is to have a buddy. Let someone know that you're playing the game, and uh, incentivizing the mechanics telling them about it. Which is funny because in The Beast it's the complete opposite and you're not allowed to tell anyone, you have to like burn the journal at the end. A, I didn't learn the
3: journal. And B, I told Send about it the whole time I was playing.
5: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Alexander Santoska would say you're hacking the game, you have not played Uh it. Yeah. Yeah, And and not in a mean way. um, (laughs) But but, so, yeah, maybe have a buddy. Um, I think just the journaling alone, uh, journaling is like a good way that people process things, so it could be something like that. There's also, you only play the Beast one question card a day, which I think is good.
3: (laughs) It's a de-escalation, right?
4: That is actually the thing that I was going to mention, is to give, um, if you give the player the opportunity to basically de-escalate between things, that gives them the option to basically um, get to the intensity level that they prefer, and then they have the opportunity to back off until they want to engage again, right? Which as a single player, um, I have total control over Um, That doesn't accomplish necessarily checking in with yourself, but I think that if it is a game in which you are journaling, it's something that you can include from a journaling perspective. Because if we think about journaling and the way that we tend to use it a lot of times, or at least the way that I tend to use it, and honestly I'm, you know, therapy and everything, right? Like, and that's fine. Um, But journaling is a way that we can be introspective with ourselves to try to sort through what our feelings are when yep. we're not sure, yep. and if you can incentivize that, or at least create space for it, yep. you're going to create the ability for us to be honest with ourselves when we're playing the game, and that basically is that moment of check-in. And then, if you have pauses and gaps, you have um, you have the ability for, for them to control how intense they're going to get. Right?
0: Does that answer your question? Yeah, uh, I was just going to
3: tackle one thing more. from your game.
0: We have so much more information. We'll talk later.
3: I just give one more piece of advice from uh, Fourth Queen, which is um, just allow people to X card a card, you know, or whatever it is, the prompt. Like, maybe if somebody hits something that's way too emotional um, because they're alone, just make sure that you empower them to be like, well, if, the, if this prompt is too much, mm-hmm. go pull another prompt.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Any other
1: questions? I, I sort of do, but I kind of think like you kind of already answered it. Do you have any suggestions for like a set of resources that discuss a
5: variety of different safety tools and how they can be used, whatever. But it sounds like it's more just read a lot of
1: games as opposed to being collected in kind of a thoughtful, researched thing.
5: Right, th- so uh, yeah. if
4: because you've ever been-
1: research I not really-
4: Yeah, no, no, no. But, well, So the, the, the generalized, like, just see a bunch of what's out there for tabletop mm-hmm. right now um, mm-hmm. is um, the organizers of Breakout Con. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just check out their page, like this is like funny, right? But um, yeah. A, they do a really great job making sure that safety is present in all of their games. But the other thing that they did is they just put together a page um, that has like a blurb about like, a ton of different safety tools on it. And It just has a giant list and links to everything and like a basic, um, like, this is kind of how this works. And then with the links to give you more information to everything. Um, and that is actually a resource that I share with people a lot. Because they're like, I don't really know what's out there. Cool. Here's a page that just has a list of like 15 things, well, like what was the name of that? Uh, breakout con.
3: So that's uh, that's a t- uh, that's a gaming convention in Toronto in March. It's um, organ yeah. It's awesome. It's organized by Kate Bullock, um, <laughs> Rachel Shelke, Rob Dubb. Rob Double. Yeah. Yeah. And they are fantastic, and it is so safety positive.
1: Yeah. Uh, what I'm best-
5: You can you can make that you can make it. Okay, you great. can make it. I I, I I personally believe in you uh, because it sounds like you have a game where you want that, or or a somewhat context in which you want that, and and you, I, I want you to create the thing that is specific to that context, and then I want you to email me helloalexroberts@gmail.com and I want you to tell me what you made. But also, um, I I personally don't really like using the thing where you at the top of at the start of the game say something that you don't that you want specifically not in the game because then I've already introduced it and i am like hey guys here's this thing that makes me really uncomfortable don't think about it and also I won't like it, it's weird to me it doesn't work for me but some people really like it and appreciate it and make it, and and consider it super important so see how that fits for you in your context
3: it's a tricky one right cuz mm-hmm. it's the don't, don't think, think it. about it but at the same time if we don't talk about it there's some percent chance we're going to drive right over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I get
5: why people like use it and consider it important.
3: Shane. Yeah,
5: wait, wait. Well, oh, oh. before we get to that question, I want to actually satisfactorily answer your question, though. So do we have anything else for this, for this person? I'm sorry. Say it one more time for me.
4: Yeah, I mean, so so the thing is that um, I can build, and, and, and what what we've borrowed from LARP for Turning Point is the okay check-in has a has a yes and a no and a okay, but no further, and an I'm not sure. And, and there's a certain point at which when we're using gestures or things on the table or anything along those lines to represent safety in the moment, there's only so much detail that we can accomplish, right? But um, I think that when we start talking about, like, Um, using scene structures and that kind of thing so that there are natural breaks in which we can have conversations with each other. Um, I think those are the opportunities, probably to have that kind of conversation because you also know at that point the direction that the game is kind of going. And I think you have a better ability if you are predicting um, to be able to anticipate and say like, okay, we seem to maybe be steering into this thing that I'm really uncomfortable with, and if we're going to go in that direction, then what I need is this particular thing cannot happen on camera, or whatever it is, or, um, you know. Right, but you, can, but you can contextually do lines and veils. Um, throughout the game, they don't have to be a one and done. We did this at the beginning of the game, and now they are set in stone and done forever, and we are no longer discussing this.
5: And just to clarify, also we never repeated for the podcast. This is a oh, question sorry. about is there a, a really good mechanic for communicating a specific need in a game? Um, are you familiar with the X card? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. So, so It's, it's, not specific it's is, like yeah, it's so you, are you saying that you want a mechanic to say I'm curious if there's any out there. No, no, I I'm, I'm trying to clarify what you're asking for. Like the so the need that you want fulfilled. Is it that you want something that you really want included in the scene?
1: okay with dragons but
5: you can't deal with fire. Cool, interesting. You're okay with
3: dragons, you can't deal with fire.
5: Okay. So, just to so you you want to just say at the top of the scene, "Hey, it seems like there's going to be a dragon in this scene. I just want to say dragons no problem, but this dragon cannot can we have the dragon not do this?" Yeah, I would I would love to, I would so again, like I don't think this tool exists and I I know it's like not a satisfying answer, but like I I genuinely want to hear cuz it sounds like you have a really specific need and I imagine other people have this need also. So I, I'm really curious as to what it could be. Sorry, we couldn't answer it better. Okay. I just wanted to chime in on that question. I kind of feel like you could probably use the support flower in a lot of ways with that.
2: And, um, people who are not uh, familiar with it, it's uh, they have Seattle gamers, if I remember correctly. Um, kind of it has a center, which is red, it has some, uh, petals around it, with yellow, and then it has outside one, which is green. And basically you kind of Green ones are basically to say like yes, more of this. I like this, etc. It even has like little words on the outside. The Yellow says you know be careful. I'm a little uncertain about this. Watch out. And the red is like I, I don't need this. Please not this. I think you can kind of you might be able to make use of that to a certain extent because at least you can, when when the dragon comes out, you know you can kind of maybe you can say you know watch out. Like I'm a little uncomfortable about this. And, and they can ask you for information yeah. about that or not, and that's kind of up to them. Okay,
5: okay, so we, thank you. Uh, we are almost, oh. we're,
2: yeah, we're we're, so we're almost out of time.
5: Okay. Uh, a person in the back has recommended the support flower. Um, is there like a quick online resource where people can read more about that?
3: If you go to that breakout page, yeah, the, the support flower break-up. is <laughs> on there. So the
5: support <laughs> flower is on the breakout page, yep. so go and read more about that. Yep. Uh, also, as you're describing it, um, I don't know if you've read Microscope, but Microscope has some really good uh, like a, a sort of part it's a like phase based game where you're doing different things in different phases and one of the phases is of all that you write a lot of stuff on index cards in this game and one of the phases is just let's write some things we really want to make sure that we see in our story we're really stoked on and let's write down on some other index cards some things that we just want to make sure aren't happening so like we're g- like this is going to be an alien game there's going to be aliens but I really don't want like a body takeover, pod people stuff. So I'm going to put that, I'm going to put aliens over here and I'm going to put pod people body takeover stuff over here. And it's great because it's, it's the kind of mechanic we've been talking about where it fits, it flows, it's used for things more than safety and so it feels very natural and comfortable to use and it's not jarring. Um, so maybe there's a variation on that you could kind of play with. Um, I'm, I wish we had more time for questions, but uh, yeah. there, There's so many wonderful things to talk about, but basically... Uh, thank you all for coming. Um, Senda, where can people find you on the internet? We're going to quickly plug ourselves. Oh
4: yeah, good, fantastic. Um, so you can find me on the internet, and um, you can find it. Uh, she's a super geek at sasgeek.com, um, and on Twitter at podcast And you can find um, pandas talking games at pandas talking games on Twitter and on misdirectedmark.com. And you can find me on Twitter at I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. And yes, it is unpronounceable. And yes, it is a joke. But it's Idella Mifflin. And if you can find it, that's amazing.
5: Branding.
3: Uh, you can find me on the Misdirected Mark podcast uh, at 8.45pm uh, Eastern, every Tuesday, live on Twitch. Uh, you can also pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear me every Monday uh, when our episodes for Pandas Talk Games drop. You'll see my occasional uh, safety article plus active debate against the trolls on Gnome Stew, uh, where I like to, every couple every quarter or so, engage in another battle. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at DNAPhil.
5: Thank you. And uh, again, my name is Alex Roberts. You can find my Twitter handle, my podcast backstory, uh, links to my games, and my email address if you want to get in touch directly, all at helloalexroberts.com. Uh, thanks so much for coming out. I really appreciate it.
3: Fun, fun. Hi, Jason.
2: Okay. Oh, Oh yes,